hello and welcome to another edition of Turned Out of Punk Footnotes. I am one of your hosts, Damien Abraham, and your other host is my buddy and your friend too, Chris O'Toole. Chris, how you doing? <laughs> Good, man. How are you? I'm doing okay. You know, it's been a, been a pretty full week, getting ready for a family vacation. That's about it. That's really that's that's really about it right now. But you know, th- things are kind of gearing up on a lot of fronts and stuff. How are you doing? Good, man. I you know same old, same old. But uh, yeah, I like our weekly uh, catch up, which is what this is largely. But yeah, yes, it is. It's like our uh, like you know, it's like a mandated friendship call. <laughs> yeah, that's a very clinical. Uh, <laughs> Uh, description but yeah sure but like it's very you know but i mean like as as busy adults as we both are now yeah it's like how often do you have to just call up a friend and like bullshit about something completely inconsequential for like an hour plus true this is true and you're right i do not i straight up do not do it with anybody but you i try and do it with people but they like really it's you know i need to force them to do podcasts apparently to make it happen chris (laughs) i think though you're particularly good i think what it is is it's uh a mixture of the fact that a lot of people aren't uh don't call people on the phone anymore and that's still very much your forte that is you you love the phone call which is i appreciate i do i you know it was brought up i was listening to uh, a wrestling podcast, the good buddies over there at post wrestling, John Pollock and waiting. And they were both describing me as a phone call person. It's true. That's very true. Um, I, I think and, I got that from my mom. I think it's a very honest thing. I come by is just someone who likes to chat on the phone. No, no, but it's, it, it, I say it like in, in, I say it in an endearing way. And it's also you, this isn't new. You know what I mean? Which is why I like no, it. This, is, no. this has always been a component to our friendship is the the phone calls. And there was that night awesome. where I crushed that bottle of like Mountain Dew. What did they when they brought they finally brought the caffeinated Mountain Dew to Canada? And then I called <laughs> yourself and George and <laughs> talked to you guys about doing that DBS cover band. Yeah, that's still my favorite. I had that message saved for a while, and then I moved, I moved phones, and it got lost somewhere. Thank yeah. God. Thank God. <laughs> no, it was great. Whoever says that, you know, caffeine isn't a drug probably needs to hear that answer machine message. It's probably like <laughs> a million miles an hour with, like, cocaine-sounding-induced <laughs> dreams of doing a DBS cover band. I was just the whole time just trying to think like how would this work? Like who's I still want to do it. I still think we could do it. You know, I love the idea. I'm just not sure it could be executed in a fashion that we would be happy with ultimately. Yeah, I think I think that would well, I think we could no, I think we can nail those songs. Well, I just mean like for me, I, I would want to do a certain amount of justice to cert- to some of the sonic aspects to it. I don't know what you know what we would do. We could agree time, on the set list too, because you would want to go to a different era. That I think than I would want to. No, go. no, no. I'm I, I'm open. I I do like all eras, but yeah, I'm open. Okay, well then this plan's back on the table. <laughs> which is established that there's a desire to do this. Get George on the phone. What I'd prefer to do is just do like. Uh, some kind of like a rendition at some point like uh where you and and or i but more you because you actually have uh whatever you've broken the ice where you coerce 
members to do something with you and or I and or everybody. And that's what would come about. I, I, I don't know if that's going to happen. I hear Andy is now like a very sought after painter. Really? Nice. Yeah. My brother was telling me the other day that his paintings go for quite a pretty penny these days. So right. I don't know if he's going to be jamming on that guitar anytime soon. He doesn't want to risk those fingers. <laughs> we'll see. I got to play his other band open for my band one time. And Which other band? Red Light Sting? I, no, no, no. It was after that. It was like a band he did kind of in the more recent times. And I was like, okay. pretty starstruck. Yeah, man. Like, it's it's funny we bring this up on the show. And for regular listeners, they will understand. but uh, Or understand slash not understand, maybe. But, uh, yeah, it, it, that, that band definitely has a special hold on you and I. And it, yep. for people that know us in a more contemporary sense... You know, it seems maybe a, a bit odd and a bit out of character that, like, for example, that we like that band so much, but I do. I just think they're also highly underrated, which is why I like to talk about them all the time. Because I think that they're a band that sort of fits in a piece of, like, contemporary Canadian music and Canadian sort of punk history that gets largely ignored. And they were excellent live. Yeah, and it was, like, such a blip, right? And I don't think it's because yeah. we didn't really have, you know, a national kind of, like... There was like obviously punk, you know, communication points at that point, but like as far as like a national network or, you know, any sort of mainstream attention wasn't really given to this band. Yeah. At the time, other than the much music playing, playing of Snowball. That's true. But you got to think like that, that got, you know, whatever Canadian big. Oh, it got Canadian big. To a certain level. And then you also have to think the same time, which you've sort of – it's come up in, in the people who are like want to talk about the history of the, certain aspects of the show. Like they were – they have a split with Anti-Flag and they were rubbing shoulders with uh, Rancid. And when yep. you think of like a band in that – you know, in that ear – like in that, uh, you know, so to speak scene who also all, simultaneously also kind of weren't in that scene at all, which is what I think is the most interesting part of that group. They actually brought – they put Anti-Flag on. Like they were the band that took Anti-Flag out on tour. Like Anti-Flag yeah. had, just had the CD. No, it was before the CD. They had the, the – the, maybe the two splits were out. Yeah. And the 7-inch and the demo um, were kind of like the merch items they had for sale those yeah. shows. And it was like they were opening for DBS. Like DBS was the more established band at that point. But like – yeah, no, I know what you're saying. Like, DBS was, like, you know, rubbing shoulders with, like, Swinging Utters and AFI, and they were... Exactly, yeah. And you're, like, 14, you're getting in, it really into this music at this point, and here's this band that's, like, living out your wildest fantasy, and they're, like, you know, a year or two older or the same age. And, and you know, pretty much, like, they were on labels, quote-unquote, but they were, they were a DIY band, and that yeah. was also impressive. Like, Nefer, I guess, was, a, like, a technically a label as well, but... You know, they still, when you saw them, there was no, there was no like hype train industry bes like with them. And that's yeah, what it's not like we call it the Neferfat sound here. <laughs> exactly. But my point is like, it just, I don't know, there's a lot. And I think that's par partially why they're not as, um, whatever you want to say, anointed. I think their sonic change is also another reason why to a degree, maybe they're not as anointed, but um, I would, you know, I, I do think people should, if you, if you are curious to follow the whole route, cause it's, it's a good one. This is an incredible, uh, <laughs> diversion <Side>? yeah. <laughs> off the intro of the show. Yeah. Um, 
I can blame cannabis, Chris. I don't know what you're going to blame yours on, but uh, let's, uh, I guess, move back into the show. Yeah. yeah. Um, and uh, I guess, should we crack open that mailbag first and foremost? I, I guess before we do that, uh, we do have to acknowledge the passing of Steve Soto. Last week, of course, Chris and I recorded the episode um, before, I think actually before he had passed away, to be honest. So yeah. It was um, – I hastily kind of put something together and tacked it on the beginning of the show, but I wanted to kind of give you the opportunity, Chris, to talk a little bit about uh, the work of adolescence, Agent Orange, Legal Weapon, 22 Jacks even. Like, you know, this is someone who had a profound impact on this genre. For sure. Well, what's bizarre about this is that I don't know if – it certainly wasn't last week, but it was within the last few episodes that – the adolescence came up and you and I so wrote a letter, remember? And it was like, you guys yeah. never talk about the adolescence. And we just kind of yeah. went off on them for about yeah, how, like the, so how, I think, yeah, sorry. I think some of our, like at least mine, like I, I don't think I could summarize anything as well as you could on this topic anyway. But, um, for me, uh, a lot, most of what I feel is contained within that. But yeah, like, um, first of all, I would say like the, the outpouring of, the unanimous outpouring of, uh, you know, support and sort of acknowledgement of his passing illustrates in and of itself, like the magnitude of that group and particularly his, his, uh, influence on punk, of course. But, um, yeah, adolescence, like amazing. Like we, I don't know why we don't or haven't talked about them more on the show. Um, not to diminish his personal achievements, but you know that is the primary group for me that I was familiar with him from. So that's the one I tend to focus on, of course, as most people I'm sure do. But um, yeah, like I said, like the uh, hearing wrecking crew, still probably one of my. Oh, if I had to boil it down, I might even say top five punk moments in my life. Even like hearing, there's there's certain things I remember hearing and it just changing like changing my whole outlook. And I think hearing that song was one of them, if I if I was being completely honest. So, yeah. Yeah, I can't remember when we last talked about them, if this came up, but like there's this, there's this concept that it's come up a couple times on this show, uh, almost like too good for a punk band, like a band you hear, and it's just like, wow, this band's just like unbelievable. Like it's, it's just, you know, I would put the Zero Boys and, you know, the much talked about Misfits. In yep. that category. And I'd also kind of put the adolescence in that category too. Like, just like, yes. it's just like so perfect. It's like, how could these kids be doing this? And like, it sounds like it was put out by like a supercomputer. Well, exactly. Like that, their ages, the way that record sounds and looks is flawless. And, you know, I, like I said, I first, I, I obviously heard them later, <laughs> but um, hearing like even the comp appearances just blew me away. So, I just I've always thought they're an excellent group. I don't I don't know how else to summarize it, but um what I was more because I, I don't know a lot of like members who went on to do things and what have you, so uh I'm not surprised to hear obviously the Agent Orange connection, but the one I was not aware of That was before. Of, yeah, I know I know. But the uh the Manic Hispanic connection, I had no idea he was in that group, which is incredible. That was another uh, I don't one. think I knew that either. Yeah, because like someone else pointed that out after and I was like, What? And so I just thought, you know, yet again, there's another link of, that I thought, like, I had no idea. And also, oh, no, sorry. He wasn't in Cadillac Trance, but that's right. It shared members of Cadillac Trance. But, yeah, he was in Manic Hispanic. 
and I believe also plays on the first record. Yeah, and he was and in the band. He was in Legal Weapon as well. Yeah, played in uh, Legal Weapon on. I think I think he's on the first record. Maybe I got to look that up. Yeah, we need to pull up the resource. But the uh, yeah, there's some, and Twenty Two Jacks I never got into, but I remember I had friends into that group, but I never really paid any mind. I saw uh, them live, and they were pretty awesome. I was trying to remember who they opened for. Like I definitely remember them, but not who they played with. Let me look yeah. that up. Twenty Two Jacks, Serrano. So I'm not going to be able to find the Steve Soto. Oh no, he played bass on the first record. Nice. Of Legal Weapon. So uh, 22 Jacks Toronto. But I remember it was at the Opera House, and I actually kind of briefly spoke to uh, Steve that night. I was like, you know, uh, obviously a, a kid who had heard the adolescence, Frontier. Frontier was an amazing label for keeping their stuff in circulation. Yeah, agreed. Um, so you could kind of always get that stuff, even in the, the lean years of being able to find uh, this kind of music out there. So, you know, I talked to him and he was super nice, like just like this really nice guy. And that's the thing that's kind of come up over and over again is that he was like a really nice guy. And like, that's not to say, he, you know, in like some sort of dismissive way, like, Oh, what a nice guy. But like, just like a person who's genuinely, you know, like is just friendly and it's, there's no ego trip. And that's not to say that like every artist, punk legend you meet has that ego trip but there is a lot of that well and i think it's you know we i think we're to to not you know a dice like to not get off obviously his passing is you know of the utmost respect we're trying to show here yes absolutely and that's what we're trying to illustrate by saying these things but yeah it's um you know i wouldn't i wouldn't fault a lot of people for having been involved in some of these things and you know and 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 feeling a bit of a way about it, so to speak. <laughs> so I'm always, I'm more impressed when people are humble, when they, when they have done, you know, historic or like you know, monumental things, even if it is on a, a, you know, to the mainstream world, it might not seem like much, but to people that really follow this, you know, no, they know. And so for me, that's, you know, I'm always impressed. And that's kind of like what I've gathered or, or have gathered over the last week or two in seeing the, people write various things about him and what have you. And I'm kind of actually bummed because he seems also like the kind of person that at one time I may have, um, you know, just brushed into in some weird encounter at a show or something. I kind of am bummed that never happened. Yeah. We got to play with him again. Uh, we played with the adolescents. I should say one time in the, in the Basque country, uh, a couple years ago, couple years ago a long time ago now and, and one, once again got to hang out with them and they were just you know really cool people like i think you know at, at that point i was kind of uh, a little in my own head and i don't know if i appreciated as much as i should have at the time but looking back on it now i'm really fortunate to have had that kind of like hangout experience for sure and i'm envious of it yeah yeah and then we and you know someone else i would run into from time to time in different areas and things like that. And once again, like, you know, just as cool as when I was, you know, a fan meeting him. So, uh, yeah. One, once rest in peace to you, Soto. Um, thanks for, you know, an incredible, uh, array of songs and music that'll be around for a long, long, long time. Uh, well, I guess we can now awkwardly transition into our mailbag. Yeah. Uh, Chris, you want to grab a couple out of that mailbag this week? And sure uh, we will get into that before we get into the Magnus episode. Uh, Blixburg 
uh, who is one of like, well, Satanic Surfers are one of my favorite bands. Uh, and we will get into that in a second. And uh, I will get your, uh, I would love to hear your take on this stuff, Chris. Cause I don't know if we're, were we doing <laughs> these episodes when we, when I had uh, Nicola and Larzon from Millen on. Ooh, that's a good question. I re- I remember listening to the interview, but I don't recall if we yeah, had we started that. I don't believe we had. So this is going to be our first time we ever really get a chance to dive into, um, you know, the melodic Swedish punk sound, the uh, the sound that swept the nation for a while and kind of like go into this whole thing. But we will <laughs> yeah. do that after we go into the thing that we call the mailbag. Chris, yeah. Uh, I guess start off by telling people how do they get into this mailbag. All right. Well, you can write us at turnoutapunkfootnotes at gmail.com, and we regularly answer on the show here, of course. And we love uh, weird, obscure, esoteric things. Not not solely, but we definitely, that's the bread and butter, at least what we try to get at on this show. Yes, I agree. Definitely. Um, this is, uh, you know, like in, 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 on this show, I think above all else, we strive for, uh, nerdiness over godliness. <laughs> One in the same. One in the same. One in the same. Friend. Exactly. <laughs> Touche, my friend. Touche. <laughs> yeah. Um, okay. So the messages this week, we start off with one relating to last week's, uh, guest and the subject. So it's from Cole. Pardon me. And uh, the subject is MFGG, which, of course, is Me First in the Gimme Gimmies. Um, and uh, they write, Me First definitely played a warp tour. I was at either Asbury Park or Philly, and AFI was also on the bill. AFI came on stage in Hawaiian t-shirts, Me First in the Gimme Gimmies wardrobe, and Me First came out in all black, uh, a.k.a. AFI's wardrobe. And uh, they say it. They believe it was in 2001, maybe 2002. So I believe I, I don't recall that coming up specifically from last week, but I suppose that's a point of clarity. I, I, I'm honestly now going to suggest a spike that I think the Me First and Gimme Gimme should do a uh, a goth record. <laughs> that would be hilarious. It'd be yeah. awesome, you know. Like you could do, uh, you could, you know, you do some Cure songs. Yeah, you do uh, some Susie and the Banshee songs. Uh, maybe wait for the blackout by, uh, the damned. <laughs> yeah, they definitely, I like this idea. That'd be kind of, <laughs> couldn't you hear them doing it? Yes. He, I could, I could, he, I think this is good. I think that I could see them doing anything like that because I just think they could pull it off. <laughs> what are some other goth, you know, pop rock type songs they could do? I guess they could like, you could open it up to anything broadly termed goth and, you know, do like a, a Marilyn Manson. <laughs> yeah. thing in there too yeah why not he's got a couple like some of those later Marilyn Manson records have a couple tracks <laughs> I, uh, not, I don't like, know I, I've never even heard the later records at all I like, I it's, it, I'm, when first. I say later I, I, I'm, let me please because we can't move on yet Chris because now I've said something ridiculous and I have to <laughs> uh, figure out how, how to backtrack on this a little bit uh, but no there's definitely like a Marilyn Manson record the glam record is pretty sick. The glam record. There's a Marilyn Manson record where it's like this total like glam uh, mechanical animals, I think, is the record oh, I'm thinking okay. of. And I've it's, never heard that one either, but okay. I think it's like the third album. 
I'm looking it up on the resource now, just as a point of clarity. Um, what I would say is, I think that <laughs> uh, I don't know the earliest stuff, of course. I recall when they broke. I think uh, if I'm being completely uh, neutral on this, I do think the first, or whatever, the first nothing records, Interscope record, probably has a couple tracks on it. Uh, but I don't know. I haven't listened to it in a long time, and I d I've never heard any of the other records. Um, but uh, even in, well, sorry, I've probably heard whatever the the singles were off. Probably that Antichrist record and whatever mechanical animals. But yeah, no, I don't know. Man, I got a lot of records. I got a lot of <laughs> records. <laughs> yeah, but they could probably find like a track to put on there. You know. Yeah, I guess. Wow, it's funny that when I'm looking at this. Because again, there's I don't know whatever like uh, five, whew, like twelve LPs sort of on here. If you really want to count the cassettes, so maybe maybe if I'm being generous, ten. Let's say. Yeah. But I I wouldn't have assumed there was four or five up to two thousand. I have I to thought. admit I don't own any of these in my collection. No, same. Not a. I'm never. I've never been that much of a fan. I remember like, did you ever go to Graffiti Alley, Chris? I remember it existing, but no, I never went to it. So, like, Graffiti Alley was this, like, kind of weird <laughs> alternative mall, <laughs> yeah. to, put it, to put it generously, that was, like, the floor of this building with all these little shops. And there was, like, a head shop in there. There was, like, a rave store. And then there was this store. I don't even remember what it was called. And you could buy bootlegs, you know. And this has come up on the show a couple times because I've got bootlegs from there of, like, uh, a lot of, like some cool stuff. But – um like a Mike Watt bootleg when Mike Watt played at the opera house, like they would get the bootleg in the day after the show. So you go see the show and then you run down and you buy the bootleg <laughs> of that show. Um, this is Damien's life circa like 90, 92 to 95 maybe. Yeah, definitely. And I remember reading that there was this Marilyn Manson fanzine that they had for sale there and had candy on the cover. Like it came with a free piece of candy. It's like candy for luring the kids. It was like, <laughs> and I was just like, oh, and so I've always had a negative vibe. Yeah, I, I never, you know, again, that's something I've never been terribly concerned with either. But no, you know, it's it's a funny thing because I'm sure people are aware of the phenomena, but for younger folks, maybe not to the degree. Like it was, I mean, honestly, if I'm, you know, it was irritating. <laughs> like, oh, it's super irritating. In the mid mid 90s, it was like irritating. I shouldn't have been as irritated by it as I was and that's how big a thing it was which is why it's so kind of bizarre now that it's not big at all <laughs> yeah no it, it's still like it's still like big with like a certain subsect you know and I think Marilyn Manson as like a cultural touchstone is still really big sure yeah but yeah like I don't <laughs> I, I don't know if it's the same thing uh you know as as a show anymore I, to be fair though I did not go back in the day to compare it and and they didn't do a warp tour as far as I know, so I don't think I got to see him by accident. <laughs> no, ever. no, no. Yeah. There was just yeah. <laughs> but back sorry, go on. We've talked about no, anyway, sorry, go on. Well, I was just gonna say back to me first of the Gimme Gimme's Goth record yeah. that we're now uh EPing yeah. for uh them. Uh you know, like I I think you could fill it out. I'm trying to think of some other good goth songs. Uh it's not my forte, but <laughs> But, yeah, the goth revival is something that I have to admit. Like, I liked, I was not into the goth 90s vibe. No, but, yeah. I was in that goth 80s vibe, though. 
It's, <laughs> I've never like it's it's sort of a, that's a dirty word to me, so I have a difficult time with it. It's I'm with you though generally because I do like some of that stuff or some of the stuff that you know is is nearby, uh, in in vibe or whatever. But I don't know if I could outright say I like that. I don't know. I don't even know what that is. I've never thought about it hard enough. I wonder what a me first in the gimme gimme's Christian death cover would sound like. Exactly. Yeah, that's the, that's what I was thinking of. But yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, anyway, okay, we can move on from this amazing idea. But I'm going to definitely try and remember to bring this up to Spike when I go and see him in a couple weeks at 77 in Montreal. Nice. Going to be doing some doing <clears throat> some podcasts. There's some big fish there, Chris, that weekend that I want to try and get on the show. I know. I've heard you talk about it. Yeah, some big, big, big fish. Steve Ignorant from Crass. Yeah, that'll be yo. That'll be good. That'll be a cool one to get. You know, there'll be some. You know, Mike Muir stood us up. You know, <laughs> and then you get him in person. I think you'll get him eventually. These, I, I'm, I'm, uh, but yeah, that the both would be great. Well, yeah, we got we're on a good run. We've got some really cool cool ones all over the map ones coming up in the next few months and i've got some other people that i'm in communication with too that yeah we've got some we got some good shit coming up in the next few months cool. um uh yeah yeah we got some, we got some good stuff uh you know including uh this next week on the show jd sampson nice from lee tigra so that is a, a good one but but back to this mailbag chris all right, so we have one more message here. Do we even get to the me first and the gimme gimme's message? We did, yeah. We just or, finished it. Oh, but I oh, just interrupted when we talked about all the goth records. We got to the crux of the email? Yeah, the crux of the email was just that. It was uh, an anecdote from a live gig where they talk about them coming out in the, the wardrobe. Of oh, the yeah, that's right. Get, that's what led me into yeah. the, the goth wardrobe. Okay, yeah. I apologize. <laughs> no I'm, still, I'm still so enamored with this uh, goth me first and the gimme gimme's <laughs> records. I forgot uh, where the credit is due. Don't worry. Uh, thank you for the email and you will receive proper credits on the me first and the gimme gimme's goth album that Chris and I are putting out. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I'm sure, I'm sure fat Mike could put it out instead. I, I, I don't know. Maybe who knows? Who knows? Maybe, maybe turned out a punk records. Oh, oh, one will be, <laughs> uh, me first and the gimme gimme's, uh, let's wait for the blackout single. <laughs> all right next message <laughs> um is from mitch and it's very short and concise the subject is modern hardcore and it says hey fellas was just curious if you guys enjoy the modern day hardcore i have to read that specifically that's the way it's worded i was curious what bands do you like question mark and that is the the end of the email damien since we don't Talk do, about. Do, do, before we get into this, mo yeah. like the actual yeah. bands, Chris, yeah. do you remember the uh, the time where there was the the genre that emerged that people labeled not always positively as modern hardcore, <laughs> like calling it that? You're yeah. saying, yeah, yeah. Uh, I don't know. I, I've never viewed it that way. There it's was like genre. I was on a very nerdy message board at the time, and there was a very distinct, uh -huh. definite, like uh, uh, like oh, that band's modern hardcore. And yeah, was, which which I think, yeah, like I I think I've never, <laughs> I think that's a description which certainly can be used in a derogatory way, which and it has, and I get 
where that's coming from, but I've never dwelled on that as a as that kind of a distinction. There's some no. other ones that I think are uh, funnier and are more clever that were used, which I won't get into. But, well, no, Amazing uh, Core, I think, is a slightly different genre than Modern Hardcore yeah. was. Modern Hardcore emerged kind of post-Amazing Core, and there were elements of Amazing Core within the, <laughs> the type of music that was referred to as modern hardcore. Yeah, okay. But it was funny because, like, at the time, like, Government Warning, let's say, uh, would have been a modern hardcore band for the time I'm talking about. I know not in the present day. Um, but they were never referred to as a modern hardcore band. Like, that descriptor was never put on them. I see. I, I don't – again, I wasn't on this – I didn't take part in this discussion uh, initially, so I don't know. I can't. I don't know what you're speaking of, in, like specifically. But um, yeah, I, I think that that's accurate. The government warning were not in the derogatory sense. <laughs> um, <laughs> I just usually. I really do want this message board, the secret message board I'm referring to, to one day be uh, uh, opened up for the world to see, and all these communiques to be released in a book. Because there was a lot of scholarly effort in amongst the shit talk of my band. <laughs> I recall – I always heard things in passing as I was not a part of it. That's the thing is that there's so many secret message boards out there yeah. that people could think I've been talking about any number of them. But I'm talking about one very specific, very, very nerdy one that yeah. I like to think uh, this podcast is somehow kind of like following in the tradition of albeit way less negative. <laughs> well Speaking every, of which, now let's get on to the question <laughs> yeah, okay so well the question's already been asked so mm -hmm. do you do you recall what the question was yes like? modern hardcore bands what yes. are uh not, yeah, not yeah, as like, a genre descriptor <laughs> just not as a genre general. descriptor no <laughs> yes. as in bands that are now in the current day as opposed to yes. the bands that we tend to focus on which are bands from the past yes. uh absolutely yeah no i think you know uh there are bands this genre, this world drives forward and there's bands that keep pushing it forward and keep doing new things. And, you know, it's, it's every few years, there's like a new crop of bands right now. For instance, we seem to be in a period where there's like a lot of attention on bands right now. There's like cool bands doing cool things that have come out of hardcore, you know, obviously the highest profile ones, um, turnstile and, uh, um, the culture abuse right now are, are, are doing like, big things and they're kind of getting the attention they deserve, but there's, you know, that that's just the tip of a, a very large iceberg that has a lot of different styles. In it. The new shit LP is, is pretty ridiculous. It's pretty awesome. I still haven't heard the LP, but yes, shit are pals and yes, I like their band. So it's on Spotify. They don't want it to be. Apparently they're like super bummed out about it. Or apparently, <laughs> I don't know, read some comments, but it, it, it is a great record and I strongly recommend you listen to it. Yeah. The other stuff's great too, but yeah, they're not really modern though. At this point, they're kind of like a, like an old band. Right? Well, this is, this is the, the trick of that question. So I had a few that I wanted to shout out in here of, of records that I like that are, are newer bands. By no means are they new as in this year or even last year or the year before. Some are like five, six years old or even older. But, you know, relatively speaking, they fall within what I believe the question is asking. So, uh, yeah, I think the prominent – you brought up shit. It's a great one. And obviously for us in our neck of the woods, it makes sense we would – mention that um for me the other sort of big ones in the, at the moment which I, I would hope most people are familiar with but if not uh impalers 
their LP came out last year, which is incredible. Everything they've ever done is flawless, in my opinion, uh, and features a member or members of Power Trip, at least a member. A member, yeah. <clears throat> but anyway, um, for those not familiar with that whole world uh, as, as individuals, uh, Aggression Pact, shout out to previous guests of the show. Uh, but yeah, Aggression Pact are an excellent Boston, I guess, based group featuring a Richmond front person. Uh, all heavyweight people in there who are all uh, very responsible. That's the way to talk about Mark, Chris. <laughs> oh, you knew you were going to go there with that. Uh, not, I did it lovingly. We're the same size. <laughs> not, not what I was saying at all. No, but uh, but yeah, it's just, what I'm trying to say is it's painkiller and, and beach impediment and basically all in one. And it's a group and they rule. Um, Waste management from Boston, of course, not a new group at all. But they have a new LP coming out. Check it out. Uh, arms race, I guess like, you know, of course, like the big thing in the last few years has been like the, the new, a lot of the new British bands like arms race and the flex. They're both cool. There's, there's a bunch of other ones now, like, uh, Jonas and what game there's, uh, what am I missing here? You've, you've interviewed even a through, even, uh, what's that band called that Briny's in good throb, good throb, but they, uh, they're not new at this point. Would they be? Well, I don't know if they're still around even, but anyway, I yeah, I think that's a problem. Point being, there is you know, there's that world if you want to focus on that. Uh, what else? Uh, Tarantula. Yeah, that that band, gun. I love that band. Was like you know, my my most favorite band that I've heard in the last you know, ten years. I guess <laughs> you're referring you're referring to uh, Good, Good Throb. Throb yeah, yeah, like I really I really thought they were something pretty amazing and i and you know like and, and you know that's not to say that they're not around at this point as well because they they are still a great band if they are playing shows but uh now chris you got me doubting that they might be so now i gotta look i don't know up. i just i'm not positive if they're still active um but i don't know yeah, if you're talking about them in the past or the present now so <laughs> but other ones real quick tarantula uh machine gun warthog also not a new band but great concealed blade uh, where I believe are Pittsburgh based. Shout out to Dave Martin, who's not in the band, but he's from Pittsburgh. Uh, Glue, Vile Gash, also not a new band, but a great band. Cadaver Dog, uh, I believe I'm saying this right, Haram, uh, from New York, I think. Yeah, yeah. And Exit Order and Blazing Eye. Those are all kind of ones I just noted really quick when this question came up. Yeah, those I, I, I back mo most of those bands, if not all those bands that I've heard. And uh, yeah, like certainly Blazing Eye, Locke was a great band, no longer with us. Yeah. Um, but yeah, like it, it's that's the thing about the genre is like it keeps going and everyone's got their own take on it. And I think that's the thing is like everyone's got their own definition about what is and isn't hardcore and what is and isn't punk, you know? And I think now, especially like the the stuff that gets called punk and hardcore it's just so broad yeah um, i i know what you're saying you know like yeah so like someone's one someone could be listening to like one type of music like and and you know like i think i think you look at these big festivals like you know that 77 festival lineup and you look at like all the bands playing it and like it's it's pretty it's pretty uh ranging you know the people that would be calling themselves and fall into the banner of punk and hardcore and i think you know that's the thing is like every era there's like a new crop of bands that are kind of pushing that or or expanding expanding those boundaries yeah absolutely <sighs> i keep forgetting too there's a couple locals too like so mil spec who just put our record and locking out 
Yeah. And Wild Side. Of a much beloved new record on on Locking Out. Like a lot of people yeah, are are very excited about that record. So that's awesome. Like, yeah. you know, and I think that's something that's been that's a friendship that's existed for a very long time. Yeah, I believe so. I think I know what you're referring to. Yeah, so. and of course, Wild Side, which is my favorite from my area. But yeah. All right, Chris. Well, there you go. So we are into contemporary hardcore. <laughs> not to get we don't talk about the more. genre of modern hardcore. <laughs> yeah, which was, uh, which which existed for a moment as well. Um, <laughs> is that it for the mailbag this week, Chris? Yeah, that we're yeah. Into? Yep. Okay. Well, let's dive in to this episode. Uh, Magnus Blixitberg from uh, the Satanic Surfers uh, from. Uh, Everyday Madness, uh, which is another band that I love and, and plays in Revenge. Uh, so, yeah, it was great to get him on the show. Shout out to Melanie K. I, it kills me that I did not give her a shout out on the show. Um, so I'm giving her a proper shout out here for setting this up in 77 Montreal, of course, which is happening on July 27th uh, for, you know, I'm doing a live Turn Out of Punk interview, hopefully with a guest that I'll be able to announce real soon. Uh, the night before, on uh, the 26th, at Le Ministre. So you can get tickets for that on the interweb. And, uh, yeah, so uh, it was cool to get to talk to Magnus. We got to talk about a wide range of stuff. And this is something that I've always been fascinated by, which is this sound that kind of swept Swedish punk and begat, you know, like a lot of bands that would have massive impacts the world over, but certainly – you know, from the stories that you kind of hear from afar, like had a massive, massive impact for a time within the country. Like we were talking about DBS earlier, which is kind of, I guess, our equivalent in Canada, but seems like that was but a blip compared to the impact these bands had in Sweden. Yeah, I think, uh, well, I don't think DBS had any impact in Sweden. No, I don't think DBS at all. Did. I mean, I mean, these, these bands that were in Sweden. Yes, exactly. Yeah. I thought you were saying that there's a whole like you know a sub DBS loving scene yeah, that exists in like Sweden. No, unfortunately, Sweden. not not to my knowledge. Yeah, I wish I would. Uh, I would be very much a fan of that. Um, but yeah, I think uh, for me, it's always been a fairly some of those bands I'm familiar with. Some of them I'm not as much. Um, of course, I'm from, tend to be familiar with the bigger ones, but uh, I don't. When I first started hearing this stuff, I never really – I guess I did think of it as like – like basically the, fir the first groups I remember hearing – I remember hearing Satanic Surfers early. I don't think I knew they were Swedish for whatever reason though at first. I just didn't. And But I only – I'm trying to think when I would have heard them. I looked up that discography right now. But um, I'm trying to think of the first – oh, I guess it would have been that first LP. Yeah, so around 95. Yeah, maybe I didn't know where they're from. Anyway, um, Burning Heart, I think, is a Swedish label, is it not? Yes, it is. Yeah, so maybe I, I knew that. But um, but anyway, yeah, so like I was vaguely familiar with, with them when the, I first heard that first LP or whatever here over time. Um, but never really contextualized the idea of like the Swedish scene or whatever. And then eventually, you know, heard things like the hives and refused and whatever. I'm trying to think of is helicopters and all that Swedish too, I think, right? They're Swedish as well, but I think they, none of them were on Burning Heart. No, no, no. Sorry. Yeah, yeah. So what you're – the question you're posing is I never knew of like the 
Oh, sorry, I shouldn't say that. I didn't know Mill and Colin were Swedish. So yeah, I knew like a little bit, but it was not stuff I was I was really uh, fixated on. So I never gave it a lot of thought as, as to what how big it was in Sweden or what that scene was. It's crazy because I think population wise, Sweden and Canada are about the same, right? I don't know. That's a good question. Probably pretty close. <laughs> I just the Sweden's so small, so I assume we're we're. But then again, we have, I mean, we're bigger. But then so like you bring up these bands like the Helicopters refused like. Uh, you know, add nauseam in there as well as add at the gates in there as well. Um, mm-hmm. add Wolf Brigade, add like oh, Wolf Brigade, is Wolf Brigade, yeah, they're the Swedish, right? Uh, I feel like they're not, but Disfear, okay. Disfear, then okay, well, add Disfear, then um, <laughs> and, and then uh, you add like, but then you have Milling Call and you've got Satanic Surfers, you've got Refuse, you've got the Hives, you've got 59 Times the Pain, you've got Breach, you've got. Uh, Christopher Ashram, you've got like so much. Yeah, yeah. Stuff. The more you say it, I'm like, okay, yeah, yeah. Like, uh, there's certain things I remember. Also, Wolf Brigade are Swedish. A Wolf yeah. Brigade is okay. So I'll put them back on the list. And then you've got like, <laughs> you know, you've got so much stuff coming out of that country. Uh, you know, in under the umbrella, largely of punk. You know, like at the gates, guys are all punk dudes. Yeah. Um, and did you even say entombed either? But that's I didn't say entombed because I kind of consider them like helicopters, yeah. more more earlier than that. Yeah. And I kind of think all these bands were like that that same period in the late nineties, uh, or sorry, early nineties, where they all kind of emerge around yeah, yeah. into the mid nineties. It's just like, and it, I think it comes up in this episode, and I never really thought about it till talking to Magnus. But it's it must be like the access to affordable. Uh, you know, rehearsal spaces, gear um, that existed in Sweden, like th- to explain like why there were just so many fucking unbelievable bands. Yeah. It comes up in the interview. I, again, it's funny. It's, it's a bit easier to look at certain things in hindsight. I think this one for me, just as soon as you start rattling all those bands off, I, I did know some of those bands were Swedish at the time. I just never, ever, thought of it as a scene or something i think like when i started to i guess when i first heard of burning heart i you know obviously i thought it was like the whatever the the swedish epitaph or something so there was a bit of like a maybe some of these groups are from the same you know thing but i don't know yeah i never i don't know i just never thought about it a lot but you are right like um it's bizarre that it becomes so vibrant and yeah. obviously in the U.S. it was very vibrant, and arguably here it was vibrant. But when you think of like the bands they produced, there's certainly a lot, a lot more in a way, if that makes sense, um, than than elsewhere, especially for their size. Yeah, like I remember when I got that um, Cheap Shots Volume Two compilation. And just being like, holy fuck, like, how can there be this many incredible bands from one place? <laughs> and that's like, you know, unbeknownst to me that there was also like this insane death metal kind of scene that came out of punk rock there. There's this insane, uh, like, rock revival scene kind of coming out of that as well. There's like, you know, an incredible history of hardcore as well that exists there. Yeah, I think like for me, when when you – now that I, I'm familiar with that stuff, the earlier stuff, I'm sort of, although it's, it was very interesting to hear him say that they also hadn't heard a lot of that stuff till much later. Um, although I do, I don't recall, like, again, I haven't listened to the 
interview in ages, and I'm trying to look up what episode it was where you interviewed the two other uh, dudes from... Nicola and Marzon from uh, Mill and Colin. Mill and Colin, that's right. So they they seem to be, or at least one of them seemed to be on some of that stuff pretty earlier. I don't, I don't know if he was yeah, older. Yeah, it was. they were definitely, you know... But I think both of them said they were also into now. I I wish I could pronounce it properly, but that that other type of punk that existed as well. Larzon seemed to like he was more into just in general, kind of like hardcore as well and punk rock. He also has like the best taste. He has an amazing label. Like he really is like like a like a guy that loves all punk in all his forms. But you know, Nikola, I remember saying that he was more into kettle punk. I think they called it. He called it. Yeah, that one. I don't. Remember that? I don't. Yeah, I can't. I'm not gonna attempt. But yeah, I know what you're saying. And I think that's like the kill punk or whatever. That's the more melodic bend on it. Gotcha. But yeah. So, but I'm. I'm. Well, we, not did surprised, I guess, for, we did do a footnote for. We did do a footnote for. Yeah, I'm trying to find it. It was like 92 episode 92. So it's a super early footnote for us. Well, I guess we start at like fifty. I just don't know why I don't have memory. Of. I remember the interview f- fairly vividly, but yeah, and there it is. Oh no, did we? I don't see the footnote for it. Oh, there is. Yeah, never mind. Um, anyway, uh, what I'm trying to say is, I believe that if you, if you were to look at that sort of history of the earlier groups, I'm not surprised to see a you know an explosion later of groups that you know even though they don't sound or some of some of them don't sound or at least the ones that got bigger quote unquote don't sound like those early Swedish hardcore bands to me um, to me it kind of makes sense because there's some precedent or whatever but it's it's ironic in the interview that we just like that you just did that it seems to be that there wasn't a lot of awareness although it is awesome that it was just randomly mob 47 and then nothing for a while <laughs> which is probably <laughs> one of the greatest uh, you know things to get a uh, hip to early. Yeah. I guess there's just like, it, you know, it, it'd probably be like not knowing about, you know, slaughter and yeah. sacrifice here and stuff like that. Like, you know, the, the incredible history of death or youth, 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 youth and chronic submission. And like, you know, granted these bands in Sweden had records, but it just seems like it, it's like true underground. Well, I think at the time, like, again, you would you know, referencing Toronto, old Toronto groups or old Canadian groups in general. Um, you, know, like you grew up in that city, so you maybe there was more of a uh, whatever an emphasis because you were there. I mean, for me, we're relatively the same age. I didn't. Or I think we're a year apart, if I remember. But uh, I don't remember hearing you know youth, youth, youth anyway until. Much later, like then yeah. I heard some yeah. heard something like the vile tones, uh, or something like that. Like I was aware of like because here at least when they were running punk history stuff, you did get the vile tones peppered in. Uh, it was the stuff the era after that didn't ever get mentioned. Yeah, yeah, you know, no. yeah. Then that's and that's kind of seems like what happened there too with Abra Grun, yeah, being like on their radar but not knowing about all this other crazy yeah. history of punk stuff that had happened. Yeah, and I think that's something that we're, again, just like sidetracking a bit. What's ironic is I feel that you and I are of that awkward era where 
you had to watch the bridge being built again to connect it. Whereas the ones that are just after us now or, or, you know, whatever, slightly younger, they're, they're coming to, to like the full connectivity of, of like the past to present. And they're skipping a lot of the, (laughs) a lot of the awkward, uh, steps that maybe someone like you and I would have had to take to find some of this stuff. I'm saying this in a positive way, mind you. Um, but uh, and I think maybe it's similar. Like that—that's my Canadian interpretation of maybe what was happening in Sweden. I don't know. Yeah, I think that's, I think I think that's you know it's 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 weird like to think what records take in which places, and in Sweden like the records that took and the sounds that took created like a very fertile ground that yielded some incredible, you know, incredible results a little bit later on. Yeah, and I think, you know, like, there, to me, when you, I always assumed a group like, uh, like, say, a Millencolin, or or certainly the Hives, definitely got quite big here. Millencolin, though, even on the, you know, the scale of, you know, sort of the world of Epitaph, I think the Hives obviously jumped a bit more than that here. The Hives were huge. Well, the Hives were mainstream all over the world for a minute. Yeah, yeah. So Millencolin, I don't think I ever reached that. But like these are, you know, fairly big groups. And if you want to take like refused, obviously you're going to throw them into that. Even International Noise Conspiracy, where it had a major label record. You know, there's reasons to, you know, like, uh, although, yeah, no, that is Swedish. Pardon me. I questioned myself for a sec mentioning that. But um, yeah, just like I, I think that these groups, I don't know, like precedent set. And then, of course, you have like, a bunch of other groups kind of, you know, trying to do it at the same time. Maybe there was more, like you're saying, like whatever government emphasis or whatever government uh, assistance on that as to why it was so fertile, but I, I don't know. Well, that's like, you know, it just seems like there was just such a deluge of bands, you know, during that period. Um, and I imagine that would have been like the peak period where all these kids had kind of benefited from these programs we're of an age now where they were starting these bands. Um, and I imagine like, you know, the, like judging by how the rest of the world has gotten, those programs were probably gutted a little bit ever since then. Yeah. Uh, um, but you know, and it, also kids tastes have changed and things like that. But like, I can't, I can't think of another country that put out, well, maybe Japan, but during that period, like so many kind of like that, not even Japan though, that like shifted the needle worldwide like that. Like the highs were fucking huge. Like they had songs on top of the pops. Yeah, no, they they got very big. I still think uh, Crazy Town cover Refuse, Chris. <laughs> that is true. Yeah, although we've discussed that one a bit on the show, I think Refused are a, a weirdly unique example because I don't think you know if I'm being yeah no I don't think that's that's sensational even to say I don't think for me Refused hit until they were they were done quote unquote. You know, if you if you really, but they hit it hit in Sweden. They they already won uh, that Grammy. Maybe right? a little bit, but I I don't think that the like I guess when that last record was sort of like on on route or just being toured at first or whatever. But like you know, people were aware of them, but I don't think it really hit to the degree where you know you hear about them spoken about now. Yeah, no, you're right. You know, like I don't think that hit until they were done, quote unquote. Yeah. And although they they came back or whatever you want to say about all that stuff, but. Um, the original run or whatever. I don't, so, you know, 
throwing no shade at the earlier records inherently, but you know that victory record, you know, for people like you and I, maybe we knew what it was, but that didn't. I don't think that hit for most no. people. You know what I mean? Yeah, certainly not the earlier ones either. But and sonically, of course, they're a bit different, and there's a reason why. You know, the the latter one is the one that everyone focuses on, and but you know, it's just. Uh, I don't know. I don't know what I'm ranting on here. I lost my thought. <laughs> well, I think I think you're just saying that uh, you know, Refuse was wasn't like hitting at the same time, but they were just like they were certainly on the map. You know, they had, they had records on Victory, they had records on Equal Vision. You know, they were they were certainly you know on the radar and like you know how many bands from Germany other than Viso made it yeah, well, to America. That's an interesting way of putting it, I guess. Yeah, is, is when or you, even how many British bands like, like Snuff and the Voorhees. Yeah, when you stack it up that way, I see what you mean. Um, yeah, uh, you know, again, it's like uh, the other way to kind of put this is, you know, Sweden of this era. Although they have, you know, whatever, it's not all, you know, quote unquote pop punk or whatever. But they have, you know, all of these things happening, all these groups, and this is what the vibrant Swedish scene was in in that window of time, you know. And then you have, like, to use a weird parallel, but nonetheless a parallel that works. That was their export. Then you also have, like, you know, a bit earlier, or maybe around the same time, but I would say a bit earlier, you have Norway producing black metal, and then at the same time you have. So I think, like, sometimes countries have their little hotbed moments. And I think though that was the Swedish one, and I think, like I said, the other one was that. I think if you were to look at like back to contemporary music or contemporary hardcore or modern hardcore, modern punk, you know, you would say that you know, you know, it seemed to be the emphasis in the last like three to four years, maybe, maybe, maybe five has been like you know, British, the British resurgence of hardcore punk, uh, or something of that nature. You know, and so it's, I just think there are always going to be these little things. It's just these scenes that prop up. I don't know what the reason is for some of them, especially the latter example. I don't know what I would credit that to, but uh, in terms of like government programs or like for whatever reason, people are just forming more bands or whatever that is. But uh, yeah. I think also, but like, you know, you're saying that pop punk was the export, but like, like you have Nazem, you've got like at the gates, you've got like. Well, yeah, that's what I mean. It's not just that though. Sweden's is extraordinary because you're right. It's multi-faceted. Yeah, it's like they just had aggressive music on lock. <laughs> like, you know, like maybe I can't think of a great, you know, one of the like a Swedish youth crew band that they kind of like took hold, but just about refused. every other, every refused. other, yeah, <laughs> yeah, refuse, early refuse, pump the brakes era. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, but like every other genre, they've got it kind of on lock, and it's I don't know, it's amazing, you know, uh, and it's it's just like a very cool kind of thing to look at in retrospect and be like, oh, there's that moment where like almost all the great bands were from Sweden. Not all the great bands. I'm obviously being a little ridiculous when I say that, but like, fuck, a good number of great bands were from Sweden. Well, I don't. Yeah, and I, I again, there are, there are certain things from that era that didn't ever resonate with me, but there are certainly a few that did. And so, I would say even a, even a cynical person could not argue that there's definitely at least a few records from that era that were very very big changes. 
to like, you know, quote unquote, like not sub, maybe subculture is the wrong word, but you know what I mean? Like there are like the hives, you know, vidi vidi vicious or whatever, when that came out, that was a big, I know. And the irony is there was many bands, <laughs> especially stateside that sounded like that style, but for whatever reason, never got big. I like I like those early Hive records too, and they were kind of like a ska punky band. Yeah, I, I I prefer the latter, but I know what you're saying. Yeah, they're 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 a good band. So it's just you know there are, you couldn't deny that there's at least you know you could pick one or two of their records that you you would say like yeah this kind of shifted things a little bit, and then if you know it goes without saying that you could say that for Refused or I mean I'm not you know but and then to like back to the episode I guess. I feel, you know, because I remember when this came out, like I remember when that band sort of came on the scene as far as people talking about them. I think like to a very, very small degree, I think Satanic Servers had that same that shift too. Absolutely. For like skate punk, like I remember. Yeah, exactly. People being like, it's so fast. Exactly. And, and like, again, they're not, it was the, when I recall hearing murmurs about that group initially, it was as, you know, quote unquote, like as big a deal as any other group in terms of like that style. And so I think that, you know, I don't know, there was just something going on with the performers of that generation in, in, in quote unquote, broadly termed punk music or, or like aggressive music that were just doing things right. I don't, you know, I'm also curious, never thought about this either, like what the, uh, the production of these records was like, like what the, if there was even like these masterminds that in the studios there or whatever, I don't yeah, know. Yeah. I don't, I don't think they did have like a, I don't know. That'd be interesting to kind of check out. Like if they did have like a Ryan green type thing that was like trying yeah. to make, you know, like it was going for a certain sound, but like then once again, like none of these bands sonically sounded the same. Yeah, I would say I think there are obviously similarities because I think you could take a band like Randy and put it up against the Hives at moments or like even Melancholin at moments and say, well, this is, you know. Well, Randy's I, an interesting case because Randy, I think, yeah. like like that band, you know, has been so many different bands. Yes. From like the first album, which is like kind of no effects indebted to the second album, which is propaganda indebted. And I don't mean this is in ripoff ways, but I mean like – they took the sound and did like something completely new with it. Yeah. yeah. Um, and then like the ska punk EP, which is just fucking mind blowing that they did that. And then there's like, and then they became like kind of a 77 punk band. Yeah, exactly. But I think if you were, you know, if you were to, to look at it in the way you just framed it, I would say that that's more of like a hives cue or like a, you know, whatever that kind of, I, I know they're contemporaries, but I do think, you know, if you weighed up the years, and you line up when that stylistic shift changes, that's after the hives hit, if I remember correctly. No, I think it was before. I really Might do. I think I, it, I remember I when they came out with that record. I think it was before the hives really popular. And I only say that because uh, of Carol, who played a huge um, uh, part in getting Amanda Stepto from Degrassi on the show way back when. Yeah. Uh, she, she was like super in all that Swedish stuff. And I remember – talking to her about Randy and all that kind of stuff at the same time. And she was then working for the hives a little bit later. So I think it was a little bit before, but maybe I'll give you, I'll give you yours here. I mean, I don't think you're that off anyway, because the years, you know, the years of when records come out, don't mean that that's the music wasn't down anyway. Yeah. But 
if I'm to look at the era of Randy, which we're talking about, the shift, I would say human atom bombs is kind of where it begins. And I think it's solidified on welfare problems. So human atom bombs came out in 2001, and High's Vidi Vidi Vicious came out in 2000. So oh, maybe, yeah. If you look at welfare problems, which is no, you can't keep a good band down. Is when it started. Yeah, but that's is, still punkier to me. I don't think that's the more garagey. Like no, but I'm saying like that's when they that's but that's that to me is when that shift to okay, like kind so of that's ninety eight. Yeah. So either way, my point was like if I'm looking specifically at like direct, uh, you know, sort of revival worship of that style, I think it's more on the latter records, but. You're right. This is definitely a shift from the earlier, this record. Yeah. And they did that every couple of years. There would be like yeah. a weird shift or like not a weird shift, but like they would just change themselves a little bit. Um, I kind of like, I made a playlist for this episode that, and normally when I make playlists, there are about, you know, like 18 songs, 19 songs. This one's like 30 some odd songs. And I could have kept going forever. 33 songs uh, for this episode, but there's like, so much stuff. But one of the things that hit me when I was making this playlist is uh, Don't Skate on My Ramp is still one of my favorite fucking punk songs ever. <laughs> I don't even know what that – I don't know that. It's on the Satanic that. Surfers EP, uh, which is the first one that Magnus plays on. And it's like the second last song and it's about not wanting a Nazi to skate on your ramp. <laughs> and it's fucking nuts that their drummer, Rodrigo's the singer. That is, yeah, that is a peculiar, and if I'm, and I get, I believe this came up previously, but maybe not, but, uh, oh, I remember this EP too, because this cover artwork is something else, but, uh, yeah. It's still nowhere near the Unwritten Law cover art. No, but it's not, it's, it's an inch away maybe, <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, I do remember this vaguely. I don't recall what it sounds like, but, um. What were we talking about? <laughs> um, drummers that sing. Drummers that sing. Pardon me. I've always thought that that was a hindrance as to why this band never got. And again, clearly they've had a long career. But uh, um, I think they never reached the levels of like, you know, whatever. The American contemporaries to a degree because of that. I think that's always been a hindrance. I think we talked about it with Snuff, I guess. It was Snuff, right? That has the drummer. Yeah, Snuff has yeah. the drummer. Um, it, in past episodes, I think that's always going to be a hindrance for any band for whatever bizarre reason. I uh, agree, but like I think, like the footage of them where he would play drums, he would like jump, and it was like yeah. Well, know. the you know as an inside joke here, the most primary example is the Saint Natras never got their due date, as you know. <laughs> yeah, but, but, uh, but Genesis did. <laughs> that's true yes touche you you've dropped my, my say notras point that's what i'm telling you I, I i might not know everything about music but i certainly do know my famous drummer bands yeah that sing isn't it ironic though that the only well not maybe not the only but the version of the drummer guy singer front person thing is the worst example of it ever. <laughs> Whereas all the other ones that never got their due are, you know, clearly more tasteful. I guess the Eagles would be the worst. Mm. Yeah, you're right. That is bad too. But Phil Collins, my word. Oh. Phil Collins is pretty bad. You're right. Yep. I don't know. Anyway, um, yeah. So uh drummer singer, yeah. I never you know, I've never seen footage of this band. They're actually coming back, uh, you know, coming to town, obviously, for the festival, and they're going to have uh, Rodrigo drumming and singing again. 
Wow. Uh, they played. Weren't you at that fucked up show when we played like the? Uh, I think it was the, uh, the first seven inch release party. No, I wasn't at that anything that early yet. Okay, that was that was opening for Satanic Surfers. Well, I would remember <laughs> seeing the Satanic Surfers. I definitely never did. No. Yeah, that I was. I never even saw footage though. Now that I think about it, I got to look it up in my spare time now. I honestly remember Rodrigo coming up to the merch table, buying our seven inch, and us being like. That's pretty fucking cool. That is pretty fucking badass. And like, you know, I, I downplayed on this episode, but when we brought up Intensity, Intensity, one of my top ten bands of all time. <laughs> I don't share with you there, but they they were a good band at the time. I haven't listened to uh, any of those records in a long time, but uh, I we talked about this the other week. I just can't remember what the hell the record is. Um, let me look it up. I think bought and sold might be the best example of, of like, but I mean, this isn't like the best way, but like, they were like, they were doing something that was like a modern hardcore sound for the yes. time. Agreed. Um, but it was never, I don't, I don't think it ever got bogged down in that sound. Like it, I found it always way more raging and, and enough that it would be like, yeah, like that bought and sold EP is still, oh man. Oh man, I gotta get a copy of that on vinyl. <laughs> the only one I was familiar with, which I think we talked about in the previous episode, is the Wash Off the Lies, which was a couple years later. So, yeah, yeah. Um, the, and of course, on our favorite format, it's ten inch. Um, but the uh, um, have you ever heard the uh, Everyday Madness record? Is no, that, that was that was interesting when he brought that up because you were very um, psyched on it. It's but sick. I, I, it's really good. It came out the same time as that Intensity record. Um, oh, okay. And I remember Al from Trigger Happy had like a stack of these little stickers. They were like, it must have been like two inches by like an inch. And it would be like misconduct intensity. And he had an everyday madness one. And at the time, I didn't get the everyday madness. And I regret it to this day, Chris. <laughs> but uh, so, style, like, sonically, where is it? It's like intensity style or it's like. It's like, I would say it's, you know. It's stadium crust before stadium crust was even a genre. Oh, gotcha. Okay. But but it's like it's crusty, but like it's I mean when stadium it's polished, you know, and it has like a yeah yeah yeah. It doesn't sound as like you know inept as a lot of bands that did that genre from uh, Canada and America, and that was definitely a genre. You know, you want to talk about the genres that were hitting in Sweden at the time. The genre that was hitting in Toronto at the time was was crust. <laughs> or just crusty punk. Why I'm trying to find this uh just trying to find the entry about this group. I can't find it. It's on there. Everyday Madness, one word. Yeah, I gotta look it up. Um and it's yeah, they they have that one record that it's just I think it's it's killer. I went back and listened to it once again making this playlist. And I'm like, yeah, this holds up. I don't regret saying that on the air. <laughs> <laughs> uh boy oh boy so the um okay preaching to the converted eh, good album title um yeah i don't remember this at all never heard this 97 some hard hmm. songs on it i'll check it out it's never coming on vinyl either nope just straight cd yeah bad straight taste cd well, they also had a lot of appearances on comps it looks like yeah, I guess this was the one he said his brother wrote everything for, correct? Uh, I think him and his brother played on this together. 
Yeah, but I thought I'm pretty sure he said his brother wrote everything. Okay, maybe. But I'm not. I don't know. Don't hold me to it. But I believe I remember hearing that. Um, so maybe that's why it's stylistically a little different because this is more of his brother's. But Rodrigo uh, sings in this one too. Oh, okay. Hmm. Weird. Okay. I didn't. Anyway. Yeah, they do have some cop appearances. It's crazy. So they only ever did the one thing. Hmm. They only did the one thing and never came out on vinyl. But that's the other thing that's so weird about all that Swedish stuff is that, like, it's like, you know, there's such a amazing tradition of classic punk and hardcore Swedish vinyl that just seems to have been completely passed over by this uh, explosion in bands until, like, I guess the helicopters did vinyl. You know, that what yeah. jazz stuff was all about the vinyl. And then later on, of course, all these bands did vinyl, but... It's funny. It's like you go you go back, and it's like I've held on to a lot of my Swedish stuff, but it's all like these CDs. It's like mm-hmm. I wish these were records. Well, that's a distinct parallel. I don't think that we share as far as like Canadian Swedish comparisons either, because we didn't have a plethora of original records to. We did. We did have some, right? Like Hockey yeah, Keith but... put out records. Trunk put out vinyl. Like. You know, you're right. None of our nature happy five knuckle chuckle, but like DBS is a seven inch. Yeah, but I, I'm saying in general, if you if you're to look, oh, maybe you're right. Maybe you're right. I think Millen Collins' first seven inch comes out in like '97. Yeah. Um, but you know, I got it now. I got to go and track down all these uh, German pressings of these Satanic Surfers records. <laughs> 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 I just love that uh, you're on the quest for these things. Constantly, Chris. The, the, the quest is never ending. Like, the problem is uh, the quest just has to be put Whoa. on hold. I can't believe. Holy mother. I just looked up because uh, I was like, oh, I do know another one of the records. That 666 Motor Inn, I remember the – again, I can't remember what any of these records sound like, but I definitely remember hearing this record because of the, the cover and the, the, the whatever the title or so – out there but the uh it's an expensive record holy all this stuff goes for a fortune now wow yeah once again though like i was just looking keep out never come out on vinyl which sorry are there early stuff the keep out the first that ep the the first one the magnus oh yeah yeah, never did correct yeah um which is weird because you'd figure they would have reissued some of this stuff maybe yeah, and that song, Don't Skate My Ramp, as I say, is fucking sick. Yeah. But yeah, you're right. Burning Heart did it. Never reissued it, even. No. <laughs> That's weird. Like, I wonder, you know, when that happens, you got to think it's probably the band that doesn't want to see it come out again. Yeah, maybe. Um, well, there's a compilation that has a lot of stuff reissued on it as well, but nothing on there. Hmm. Either way. Yeah. So. What uh, what point do you want to go on other than what we've hit on? Yeah, we didn't really do any points, did we? Oh, well, let's get, let's get into some points. Um, well, you kind of did. You talked about the wave of Swedish stuff. We kind of dissected that. And we did talk about the tape that with the with the Mob 47 songs on it. Yeah, a little bit, yeah. Um, and uh, I guess, like, yeah, did you – I had a lot of pivotal mixtapes that I can remember. And I remember one being my friend Josh Bricker. I don't even remember how this person was a relation to him at all, but it was like maybe a family friend or maybe an aunt made him a mixtape that to this day was probably the sickest mixtape I've ever heard. Like I would love to go back 
and find this person and be like, do you have all these records? Because it was like <laughs> AF stuff off victim in pain. Like there was just like, <laughs> it was like stuff that like I didn't catch up till much later. Like I would have been about 12 hearing this tape. Yeah. Um, and that tape was definitely a pivotal tape for me. Yeah. I think, uh, in, yeah, I always liked, I never had a lot of people make me mixtapes, but um, my biggest downfall, I think, was that I always liked a lot of different styles of music. <laughs> yeah. So my younger person mixtapes were always like too diverse for their own good. So they weren't really like good in hindsight, <laughs> if I were to uh, be critical. But um, yeah, like I, I'm trying to think of like a, an early really good like punk mix but i don't know nothing jumps out other than like kind of really i remember i'm trying to remember uh, everything that was on it. i remember one thing i got was nothing was labeled <laughs> so it was uh part of like black flag my war it was I, th I believe it was black flag my war and then like the fugazi seven songs or whatever it is like not the 13 whatever the ep was or whatever yeah uh, uh, and then I'm trying to think what else was on. Wait, is it the waiting room EP? I don't, ca I can't remember what it was, but it had those songs, but I believe it's called seven songs. Right? I, okay. Okay. But anyway, I, you it wasn't the full record. record. I know that. And I remember it was only whatever. So many, it, basically it seemed like they recorded like the, this EP and for actually the weird part was they only record like part of my war, which I always thought was weird. <laughs> Uh, which actually space. Kind of, well yeah maybe but I feel like it like started it that's what always confused me um, anyway uh, so I'm trying to think of other yeah I don't know my brother had a tape with Punk and Drublick on it and I remember stealing it and listening to it and it was like to this day still one of the best parties I've ever been to as a kid <laughs> uh, it was it was like that brief moment where Punk was cool and I was slightly ahead of the curve to all the other kids I knew. And I went to this party and all of a sudden I went from being like this kid that was always like weird and awkward to being like the cool kid. And that lasted yeah, about three months until Tragically Hip took over and Punk fell by the wayside for all my friends. But, <laughs> you know, I had a good six months. And I remember going to that party, being a little <laughs> drunk on the way back and listening to No Effects uh start to finish over and over again on this tape that would just repeat. But there's like that hidden track, right? So you have to wait like 10 minutes for it to fucking repeat after this like annoying comedy track. On Punk and Drumlick had that? I don't remember that. Yeah, I think it's like, I think, it, isn't it just El Jefe doing a bunch of voices? Oh, yeah, yeah. Now that you say that, it does sound familiar. <laughs> yeah, I don't, that's a great record, but yeah, I don't remember, uh, yeah, I've never. It's funny because all that stuff I never bought on vinyl in the then either, which I have major regrets of now. Yeah, uh, because apparently it's all worth money. But the um, I'm trying to think now that you said that, I'm trying to think of the first no effects stuff I heard. I think it must have been White Trash era. I think mine was I heard they suck live. No, mine was I think it was White Trash. I remember. I don't think any other stuff was out yet. I think that was the one I heard first, if I remember correctly. I think it was Bob. I heard Bob, I think, on something. They would probably play and that on much music, no? Maybe, yeah. Video. I just, it's funny, I can't, yeah. But I remember, yeah, being, when Punk and Drupal came up, I remember anticipating it. So I was definitely interested in that group already. 
I've got a, a pretty sick collection of other people's mixtapes now that I've acquired <laughs> over the years, including an Evaporators mixtape that Nardwar made for Steve Perry. Wow. Uh, I also have a, a a series of tapes that Judd from Sexfid made Mike from Fucked Up that got him into weird <laughs> music. Okay, that makes a lot more sense now. I yeah. was wondering where that, some of that was coming from at the time, but now I'm, yeah, okay. It's like an education in, in music type list. I also have a great mixtape made by Cal Bishop from Grade in 1993 that was <laughs> given to Lisa back then and then given to Mike, and now I have it in my collection. Uh, weirdest trajectory ever (laughs) i've got a couple chris callahan mixtapes from that he made for mike over the years as well why Uh, was everyone making mike tapes (laughs) i think mike used to trade tapes i guess but he was really into trading tapes and and getting tapes off people and like more importantly why is mike giving them all to you (laughs) Uh, mike gave me all his tapes a couple years ago Oh, okay. Gotcha. He got rid of all his tapes and CDs and just was like, here, like after picking out like, you know, a lot of the demos and most of the stuff that can be resold. And he's like, who would want all the crap that was left over? (laughs) It's me, the garbage collector of punk rock. (laughs) I was envisioning him giving the mixtape to you like one at a time as if he was like giving them to you as in like. He's making them. His handwriting keeps changing. Yeah, but it was just like he already had them. He's just like, I think Damien's ready for this one now. Here you go. (laughs) And then you'd you'd take that one in and then you'd you'd wait another couple months and then. No, there was no curation. It was just like (laughs) an info dump. (laughs) <laughs> I think I still have a bag full of the tapes that I, that are like not keeping type thing <laughs> and CDRs that Mike gave me of like first like old super compressed MP3s from like the oh. first wave of downloading yep. of like every every yep. rare punk record and hardcore record ever. But yep, I remember those years. Yep. <laughs> so. Uh, but yeah, no, that was, so I, I do enjoy mixtapes and getting mixtapes and I do love the kind of thrill that it would provide you when you heard something you never heard before on one. Yeah. I, I, again, like I always, I know I'm trying to think of just in reference to kind of what we're discussing and like in terms of like, uh, you know, hearing or getting hip to certain like punk centric things because of them. I unfortunately don't have a lot of those kind of tales, but the, uh, yeah, mix, I miss the mixtape era for sure. I don't think it doesn't. Well, you're doing it with that kind of the Spotify thing. It's it's an obsolete, you know, concept at this point, I guess. But yeah, that was uh, yeah, I miss them. I miss making them. I miss I like I don't love cassettes, but that was the one thing about cassettes I did like. Yeah, I definitely loved it too. And now it's like it is 100 percent like you know if you're doing it now, it's because there's nostalgia. Like there's no need for it. But oh, yeah. there's still stuff you can't get on Spotify that I would love to put on a mixtape for someone. I could make like, you know, for real, the best fucking mixtape ever now. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it would be so sick. The stuff I could put on it. Like, I'm just like looking at the tapes in front of me. I'm like, oh, God, I just make a sick tape of all old Toronto demos. <laughs> yeah. Have you heard Sun Still Burns, Chris? No, not that I can think of. That was uh, Matt from Grade's pre-grade band. Oh, no, definitely not. Pretty sick. Pretty sick. (laughs) Yeah. I nearly had a label for a minute, but it didn't work out. The guys, like, saw my list of bands that I wanted to put out. And he's like, no. Like, who are these bands? I was like, yeah, well, that's going to be the problem. 
<laughs> so I didn't get the label in the end. But if I did the get a label, I'd be reissuing a lot of these tapes now, I think. <laughs> okay. Anyway, Chris. <laughs> yeah. Uh, next point. Well, I don't know how many more are left, to be honest, because we've dissected a good amount, I would say, even though we haven't touched it point by point. But um, what jumped out at me? Are you a, friend of Ast- are you a fan of Astakas? Never really got into. Know the name, but... I think it was Martin that was always super into him, I remember. Like, that was... I, I remember, like... Like, and when you hear them, you're like, yeah, that makes sense, you know? Like... Mm-hmm. You Chris Suicide Martin, like those guys have already uh uh um is like always like had kind of that melodic bend to the stuff he's into. Gotcha. And uh you know, it makes sense that he would be into this band back then, but they, it's like kind of like I don't know. It's it's weird. Like I really I think you might like it. I'll check it out. Yeah, I don't uh again, maybe in passing I've heard some of this stuff, but I've definitely never got into any of the records myself they put a record on burning heart too huh or two records on burning heart well i like the era like they're like at least the early era i think would probably have something that i would dig in there oh yeah no definitely i only put a record on crispy nuts so like it's funny i guess you'd kind of put this band in that sort of like pop punk leaning you know which at all i guess was like another band that was kind of doing that hard-ons as well yeah um, so there's, there was definitely like a, a style, but this band is, I went back and rediscovered them once again, you know, thankfully that's the thing about making a playlist is you get a chance to like, like making a mixtape. It's kind of like someone making a mixtape for you. You know, I'm sitting here listening to all these bands that I haven't listened to sometimes in years, sometimes at all. Right. Like yeah, certainly yeah. with a spike up. So there were a bunch of bands that I'd never heard that came up on that. And so it's a, it's a chance to kind of like, uh, you know, rediscover old music, mind you, but rediscover music. No, but I think it's – I know what you're saying. I think it's important though. Like I think the uh, – you know, just in general like that, it's like research basically. You know what I mean? Like I, I, I like that idea. I don't get enough time to do that and I don't have any streaming services yet. So I just don't lazily bother. But um, yeah, I'm envious. I like this idea of these things but I, I haven't – listened to the ones you make, pardon me. But I haven't uh, – I haven't delved into it yet. I apologize. I need to get on that. Well, I think I think this is the time to do it, Chris. <laughs> well, it's certainly gonna. You've certainly uh, whatever put the motivation uh, out there for me. So there we go. There we go. Well, I guess is there any other points you wanted to get to? Um, I can't think of anything. I'm trying to see here the list. Um, I <laughs> discussed the drummer singer phenomena. Uh, you left off the St. Notras in your description. I'm disappointed in you. <laughs> yeah, well, um, I, don't, I don't know if they would have hit with him. <laughs> yes, but it's for the listeners' experience here. But yes, oh, that's true. Okay, for Chris's <laughs> experience, yeah, I think St. Notras. I think time. you, Dallas Good himself. Yeah, uh, would be the guy that would get the most out of the St. Notras reference. But seriously, true. sick though. Actually, while we're on, I'm going to look up. Does that is the video for Powerful Wonderful on YouTube? And if not, it ought to be. Is there a Discogs entry for St. Notras? Oh, I think there is. I think we looked this up already. I legitimately thought this band was cool. I never got to see them. It is so Powerful Wonderful. The video is on YouTube. For those uh, interested, it's the sickest vibe. Uh, 
especially when it came out in, good lord, what year did this come out? Probably 90, well, I'd have to look it up to see, but, um, which I will do right now. Yeah, there we go. There's an entry, and it came out 94. It was a good good period for music back then. Yeah, so it came out in 94, and wow, cover of this record is cool, or CD as it were. Um, and it came out, of course, in the aforementioned. I didn't realize this was on Raw Energy. Wow. Raw Energy and A&M split. Well, because remember, Raw Energy had that deal because of detachable penis. Wow. Once that song hit, you yeah, know. Damien is speaking of King Missile's Detachable Penis, which was a sort of a, whatever, 90s hit phenomenon. Yeah, like Imagine, a novelty hit song. Yeah, like a novelty hit, like uh, like Ween's Voodoo Lady or something, Yeah, but to a smaller scale. You know, you know what uh, the best Ween song is, by the way? The Party. I don't know if I know that song. I'm not, uh, I don't know a lot of Ween. I don't, but, uh, I'm not a huge Ween fan, but that song is like definitely made it on a, quite a few playlists as of late. Yeah. <laughs> well, uh speaking to Japanese centric things, which I know you love, uh my favorite ween thing is their collaboration called Z Rock Hawaii with I from the Boredoms. So there you have it. What was their hardcore band? They had a hardcore band, Moist Boys, right? I don't know. That one I don't know. Anyway, so yeah, St. Notras are on here, look it up, it's cool. And they have a, a CD called Eight. Eight, 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 hate. <laughs> All spelled differently from '94 on Raw Energy, which I somehow don't own, <laughs> but uh, I'm gonna look for it now when I go out scavenging. And I'm gonna look for more of these Ween records yeah, or Moist go. Boys records, I should say. They were on Grand Royal. That's right. I remember seeing the records, but I never got into them. That was a, that was a Boredoms related band. No, no, it's it's a Ween related band. Oh, Ween. No, no, no. Okay, I thought you were saying Boredoms. I was like Boredoms had a. But okay, yeah, the yeah, Boredoms yeah. do have like they've got to have like some hardcore. Crash. I would think, but you know, and depending what you call want to call Hannah Tarash, then that's a whole other thing. Yeah, but, but they yeah. gotta like have like definitely a connection to like legit, you know, like uh, like first wave or like you know like one of those like legit Japanese hardcore bands. Well. Yeah, I, I would assume. <laughs> but, well, mind you, like Japan's like weird because you can like just specialize so much and stuff. Oh uh, well, they've got a guy who plays in Corrupted, so well, the drummer Corrupted played in in the Boredoms. <laughs> so right there, already already made that connection. Okay, Done. Chris, let's move on. Case closed. Uh, yeah, as far as points, I don't know anything else. I'm uh, I'm good. And we, uh, that your final point here is listed was Japan rules. I think we just touched on that too. <laughs> yeah. We did just touch on Japan rules. Yeah. It's, it's really is the best place on earth to tour. And I can see like, you know, after doing, you know, like Brazil and Japan, if you're going to call it a day for any time in your band, I think that would be a good time to get out. <laughs> yeah. Fair enough. You know, those, those definitely are peaks of my career. I've never been to one, so I, I can't. I thought you went to Japan. I went to Japan, but you said what? Brazil? Yeah, Brazil. Yeah, I've never. <laughs> I've never been there been for twenty four hours. Don't worry, it wasn't like I, <laughs> okay. I buy a lot of records, though, Chris. I recall hearing about this. Yes, <laughs> it was definitely one of my. Isn't it televised? Your record buying? It's made into a, a music video, a fucked up video. Oh, okay. Yeah, it was not. 
televised, but you know, if it should have been on pay per view, <laughs> I could have bought more. <laughs> I would. Uh, I just like the concept of pay per view for Damien's record buying excursions. I think that's a good. Uh, it's a good pitch. It could. It could that. subsidize it. Yeah, that, that would be my uh, my hope. You could do like a live crowdfunding thing too, where depending on the record you pick up, like how much the you know the audience wants you to get get it or what have you. That would be awesome. Like the audience decides whether or not you should be ha- able to purchase a record. Yeah, there you go. We've already uh, <clears throat> so this idea is already in stone. So roll with it. Okay, I've now just concluded my uh, cursory glance at every discography of every member of the Boredoms listed <laughs> and it apparently is just that corrupted connection wow so you hit it early but that was the only one yeah they did put a record on selfish records though oh yeah yeah i knew that yeah um have you heard that record uh soul discharge it? yeah it's a great record it's so weird and like i believe that. blast first reissued it or whatever yeah it's the best the cover of that's so sick too but yeah i uh, know it got reissued in by a major yeah, all that that was that weird. Yeah, like I I don't know how or why that really happened, but yeah, you're right because a lot of these that uh, pop tattery and super roots and all that came out. It was in that era, I think they reissued it. Yeah, but yeah, it came out in Selfish on '89, but the what was it? Yeah, '94. Warner Dude, Japan. Selfish has got to be like one of the all-time best labels, right? Yeah, for sure. Like you go through this now, it's just like fuck, like. Every band, every good band put a record on this label. Yep. It's crazy. <laughs> it's funny because, like, I find it also interesting that, you know, when he talks about Sweden, it doesn't seem like there's any intersection between, like, scenes. Yeah. You know, like, it, like very little interaction between the various scenes there. Um, but, like, you know, like, you look at Japan, like, High Standard's got a single on HG Fact, you know, like Boredom's have a record on Selfish. Like, it, it seems like there's a lot more connective tissue running through the scene there. Um, at around the s- same time, maybe a little bit earlier in Japan than there is in Sweden. I don't know. I, that's not, I've like never thought a, about it, but yeah, you're, I can't argue with what you're saying there, but it just seems, uh, to me, Again, my very whatever uh, poor knowledge of, of the inner workings of the Japanese thing. I don't. I've never. I've always felt it was very sectioned off. That's my. It's been my uh, perhaps misunderstanding. Yeah, like that's what I would have thought too. But like you know, and that's my my understanding of things prior to kind of like going to it. And at least at some point, though, there was like a lot of. You know, like a lot of these people were coming from similar places. And also, once again, Chris, we would not be an episode of Turnout of Punk Footnotes if I didn't force you to talk about pro wrestling. Uh, <laughs> but it's also the same with pro wrestling. Like um, pro wrestling kind of intersects weirdly with this whole world as well. Oh, weird. Okay. Um, there's like this like kind of, you know, like like there's this weird connection to pro wrestling. So you can connect the whole thing. Everything I love basically can be connected in Japan. That's <laughs> what I'm trying to get at. Of course, yes. Um, but uh, that I guess that's it, right? No, yeah, that that was the perfect end right there. <laughs> All right. So, uh, Chris, how do they reach us here if they want to send us an email? 
Well, to reach us, uh, you can write at uh, into us, pardon me, at turnedatapunkfootnotes at gmail.com. And uh, we will be back next week in some way. I'm going to be traveling, but Chris and I are going to try and figure it out to not leave you without uh, a nerdy discussion, meandering discussion of of all things turned out of punk. Uh, <laughs> you can find me on various forms of social media at left for Damien. Uh, get in touch. If you're in the Boston area, I'm going to be down there in a couple days with my family. So let me know cool stuff to do with my family when I'm down there. Uh, and that's it. Uh, uh, go out there and make your own culture. JD Sampson on the show next week. Plus a surprise. It's going to be a good episode. Uh, and there's some real, real heat coming up too, everyone. So, don't worry. It's not going to be slow anytime soon for Turn It Out of Punk. I assure you. And definitely not slow for Turn It Out of Punk footnotes, Chris. Nice. All right. And I will see you next week. Or we will see you next week. <laughs>